word. What a glorious passage read before us. And what a glorious Savior we have. Children, adults, do you realize that we are all part of the ultimate statistic? Ten out of ten people die. And the reason we die, the reason there is death in this world, is because of sin. We die because we are sinners. And the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, it shall die. So our problem is sin. God is holy and we are not. And our sins have separated us from him. When our father Adam sinned in paradise in the garden of Eden, we, the sons and daughters of Adam, also sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. And congregation, we are ruined by sin. And in sin did our mothers conceive us. We were born not as clean slates, not as neutral parties, but we were born as rebels under the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 says that we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so we were born with a sin nature, and we have committed actual transgressions which proceed from it. Romans 3 declares, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we cannot save ourselves. We cannot help ourselves. Our works can't save us. Our law keeping can't save us. And someone might ask at this point, but isn't God also merciful? Doesn't the Bible say God is love? Yes, God is love. And yes, God is indeed merciful. But as the Heidelberg Catechism says, he's also just. And his justice demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with supreme penalty of eternal punishment of body and soul in hell. You see, God is not a corrupt judge. God does not take bribes. He's holy. He's just. You see the problem? Here's the dilemma before us then. How can God, who is just, who is holy and righteous, who is light, in whom there is no darkness at all, how can God forgive and justify us without compromising his own justice? How can God be just and merciful? This dilemma is resolved only in the gospel. How can God save us sinners? The answer is because of the cross of Christ. God didn't compromise his own justice. When he forgave us, he put our sins upon the cross. God can be just and justify sinners who believe in Jesus because Jesus died for our sins. And he took our punishment upon himself. He satisfied divine justice. Justice and mercy met at the cross. And Christ was then buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And it's Christ alone who can reconcile us to a holy God. Do you see the necessity of the cross? Nothing else will do. There is no other hope for sinners. 
But in the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no other way. The cross of Christ is at the center of God's plan of redemption. Romans 3.26 says that the cross of Christ declared God's righteousness so that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Isn't that good news? This is why Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2 says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In Galatians 6 verse 14, the apostle says, But God forbid that I should glory, that I should boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I to the world. Do you know why we must glory in the cross of Christ? Because it is the cross of the only begotten Son of God who died for us. God in the flesh came to save us. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, who is one with the Father in substance, who made all things, and in the fullness of the time, came into the world to save sinners. That glorious Christ died on the cross. And therefore, there is no other boasting but in the cross of Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is everything. Everything. Oh, the glory of the cross. For God commendeth his love toward us in, the, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are you glorying, boasting in the cross of Christ? God calls you this afternoon to do so. And that is the theme of our sermon this afternoon. God calls you from his word to glory in the cross where his son died for our sins and satisfied divine justice. God calls you to glory in the cross where his son died for our sins and satisfied divine justice. And as we consider this main theme, we'll study our sermon text under three headings. Firstly, the cross of Calvary. Secondly, the conversions at Calvary. And then thirdly, the compassion of Christ at Calvary. The cross of Calvary, the conversions at Calvary, and the compassion of Christ at Calvary. So firstly, then our first heading, the cross of of Calvary. So let us consider the briefly the context of this passage. Look at verse 32 where God's word says, "And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death." Verse 33 tells us that when uh, they were come to the place which is called Calvary, which means skull, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. So we see here that the Lord Jesus Christ is crucified with sinners. The one who had no sin died with two sinners. He was treated as a criminal, even though he was innocent. 
and had done nothing wrong. Isn't that the gospel? Jesus Christ didn't die as a martyr. He died the death of a criminal, even though he had no sin. Even Pilate, the civil magistrate, declared three times that Jesus had done no evil and that he had no fault. Christ died not for his own sins. He had none. But he died for our sins as our substitute. And he was numbered with the transgressors. As we read from the gospel according to Isaiah, that he bore our sins on the cross. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But watch, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace, our shalom with God was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For he hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Do you see the glory of the cross? As Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did it for us, for our salvation. He suffered and died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 34, our Lord Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Isn't that amazing? Look at your merciful Savior. He is praying for us at the moment of the most excruciating pain. At, at, in his humiliation, he's praying for us. He's praying for us sinners while he was enduring the wrath of God for his people. Hallelujah, what a savior. And then as we come to verse 39, we see that one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, railed on Jesus, mocked him, derided him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Now notice in verse 35, the rulers, the Jewish leaders mocked him. In verse 36, the soldiers mocked him. And here in verse 39, Christ was derided even by one of the malefactors crucified next to him. What a scene of mockery. What a scene of humiliation. Oh, how wicked the human heart is. These people were mocking, blaspheming the Lord of glory. By the way, we're no better. We would have done the same thing. Because by nature, we were enemies of God. It is only by the mercy of God that this afternoon we're gathered not to mock Jesus, but to bless him. Not to blaspheme his name, but to praise his name. It's only by the mercy of God that we love Jesus this afternoon. We love him 
only because he first loved us. Now listen, verse 39 tells us here in our sermon text that one of the malefactors railed on Jesus. This is really important. Children, I want you to think about this. Because in the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, we read, and it's very insightful, Matthew 27, verse 44, listen, the thieves, plural, the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Or Mark 12, verse 32, and they, plural, that were crucified with him, reviled him. Did you hear that? So initially, both malefactors, both criminals were mocking Jesus. Both of them were blaspheming the Lord of glory. Now, as we think about that, imagine even in their most agonizing moments of pain and suffering, these two malefactors, these two criminals were able to muster up enough strength to blaspheme Jesus. This is our problem too. Our problem is that our hearts are filthy. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And only the Holy Ghost can change the sinner's heart. The, the Holy Spirit applies the redemption of Christ to us. The Holy Spirit quickens dead people, dead sinners to life, makes us alive. The Holy Spirit takes away our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of tender flesh filled with affections for Christ. And this is what happened to one of the thieves who was crucified with Christ. And this brings us to our second heading, conversions at Calvary. Conversions at Calvary. So as I said earlier, both criminals were mocking Christ, but one of them suddenly grew silent. In the midst of the confusion, in the midst of this chaos and mockery and darkness, the light of the gospel shone forth. One man was given clarity. One of the thieves came to his senses. Although his body was wasting away, all of a sudden, his inner man was renewed. His mind became crystal clear and enlightened. And notice, he turns to his buddy and asks him to stop insulting Jesus. Look at verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, watch what he says. Dost not thou fear who? God. Not Pilate, not the Roman soldiers, not the Jewish leaders. Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Imagine the shock of this malefactor, this other criminal. What happened to you? Weren't you just insulting this man with me just a few moments ago? And now you're asking me to stop? And what is this whole talk about fearing God? What's the matter with you? I ask you, congregation, what happened? What happened to this man? God, the Holy Spirit, effectually called this thief and brought him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was given the gift of saving faith. The eyes of his heart 
were enlightened by the sovereign grace of God so that he could see clearly for the very first time that the man who hung right next to him is the Lord of glory. And so he says to his friend, his buddy, do you not fear God? Think about how his perspective has has been changed. He's saying, we have a bigger problem than these Roman soldiers and the pain of crucifixion. We have offended God. Forget Pilate. Forget the soldiers. Forget this pain you're experiencing. Do you not fear God? Because in a few moments, this pain is going to go away. But there is an eternity that awaits us, an eternity of hell. If we die in our rebellion, do you not fear God? Do you not fear the God who is holy, holy, holy? We have offended him. We have broken his law. We are under his wrath. The thief on the cross began to fear God. He saw his sins in the light of God's holy law and knew that his only hope was not in himself. There's nothing he could have done to escape the hell that was awaiting him, but that his hope is in this man in the middle, crucified. He's the only one who could help him, and no one else, no one else can. This is what true repentance looks like, right? This is what true repentance looks like. The Shorter Catechism says, quote, Repentance unto life is a saving grace. That means it's a gift of God that he gives to those whom he saves, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. This man could see his spiritual bankruptcy and how he had offended a holy God. And therefore, he knew that he needed an alien righteousness. His own righteousness would not do. It's filthy rags, dirty, filthy rags. They cannot bring us to God. The Holy Spirit makes us alive in our effectual calling, right? This is what we see here. And the Holy Spirit gives us faith and repentance that we might embrace Jesus Christ as he's freely offered to us in the gospel. And this is what we see here. In order for a sinner to respond with humility, repentance, faith in Jesus Christ, he needs to be made alive. Regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration precedes faith. We don't believe first and then become born again because we couldn't. Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people cannot believe. They need life. They need to be made alive in order to embrace Jesus Christ. The reason this thief believed in Christ is because Christ gave him saving faith as a gift. We are saved by the sovereign grace of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So let me ask you, are you born again? Are you saved? The Lord Jesus said in John 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what about you, children, adults? Do you know the Lord? Have you experienced what Jesus is speaking of in John chapter 3? And even though regeneration is the sovereign work of the Spirit, you must cry out to God for mercy. You must reach out to God and say, Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have you done that? Do you know Christ or do you just know about Christ? The Holy Spirit effectually calls us, but he uses ordinarily his word. The Spirit uses his word to awaken dead sinners and to sanctify the saints. And the Lord Jesus gives us this blessed promise, which is for everyone who is listening to this to the preaching of the word this afternoon. The Lord Jesus says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So you must come to Jesus. You must cast yourselves at the mercy of Jesus Christ. As you see your spiritual bankruptcy in the, in the light of God's holy law, you must run to Jesus. And if you turn to him, he will never cast you out. The Lord Jesus Christ is being offered to you even right now through the preaching of the gospel. Embrace him and harden not your hearts. So this thief who was once spiritually dead is now made alive. There's been a radical transformation in this man's heart. His stony heart of rebellion has been removed, taken away, and has been given a tender heart of flesh so that he now loves Jesus. I want you to see this. The, the man who was railing on Jesus and who was hurling insults as G, at Jesus now loves Jesus. This is the work of God's grace. And love is a fruit of saving faith. Love is a fruit of saving faith. This dying sinner became a living saint. Look at verse 41. Look at how he's speaking about his sin and about himself. Verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We deserve this crucifixion. We deserve to die, not only physically, but we deserve to perish in hell because we have sinned against God. But this man, right in the middle, notice what the thief says, end of verse 41. This man hath done nothing amiss. So this man, this thief on the cross, confesses that Jesus Christ is innocent. He has done nothing wrong. He does not deserve the death of the cross. That's a profound statement. Just confess that Christ is without sin. Through the eyes of faith that he has been given 
by the Holy Spirit, this man now sees that Christ is suffering, not for his own sins, but for our sins, for the sins of his people. And so he turns to the only one who could help him, to the Lord Jesus himself, and talks to him. And as he turns to the Lord Jesus, he confesses him as Lord. Do you see that in verse 42? And then he said to Jesus, now children, what does that name mean? Jesus, Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. He turns to the only savior of sinners and he calls him what? Lord, Lord. And notice what he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Not only does the thief confess Jesus as his savior, but he also confesses that Jesus is a king and he has a kingdom. And all he wants is to be remembered by Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Do you realize that here in our sermon text, all three offices of Christ are manifest? The Lord Jesus Christ is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. And as our prophet par excellence, I know you say par excellence, but if you said par excellence, that would be better. But our priest, our prophet par excellence, Jesus Christ, reveals to us the word of God, the good news of the gospel by his word and spirit. He brings to us the will of God for our salvation. Isn't that what Jesus is doing here? As he is about to die, he's giving, he's going to give to this thief the good news of the gospel. What a, what a glorious prophet we have, the Lord Jesus Christ, who brings us what we need for our souls as sinners, the gospel. But not only is Jesus our prophet, he's also our priest. And as our priest, he offered himself up as a sacrifice, not bulls or goats, but himself. He is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He offered himself in our place as our substitute. And not only did he die for us, but children, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He prays for us as our great high priest. And he's also our king. And the thief confesses, Jesus, Lord, you are a king. Please remember me. But watch what he says. Remember me not if, but when thou comest into thy kingdom. Do you see that? When you come into your kingdom, remember me, O Lord. That is an amazing statement. The thief here is worshiping Jesus Christ. He is worshiping Christ. The thief casts himself at the mercy of Christ and embraces him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the good news of the gospel? God helps those who cannot help themselves. God raises the dead. He is the help of the helpless. Our help, as we sang just a few minutes earlier, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And here, the help of the helpless reaches out to this sinner and shows him mercy. 
this sinner has found the Savior because the Savior came to him. The blasphemer becomes a worshiper. The dying thief becomes a Christian, our brother in Christ. Now, people of God, where was Jesus when the thief said that to him? Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Where was he? Jesus was on the cross, right? Bloody and disfigured and about to die. And yet the thief says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Which means that the thief looked beyond the cross through the eyes of faith. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Beyond the cross to the empty tomb and to the glorious resurrection. He had no doubts that Jesus would rise again. When you come, not if you come. The thief confessed that Jesus would rise again from the dead. His death on the cross is not the end of the story. But there is a glorious resurrection beyond the cross. Jesus, who died for the sinners, would rise again. And this man receives this glorious Savior. And so, to summarize, in verses 41 and 42, the thief confesses that Jesus is without sin, that he's dying not for himself, but as a substitute for sinners. He also confesses that Jesus is Lord, right? He also confesses that Jesus has a kingdom, that he is king, and that he would rise again and would come in, uh, in his glory. He would be exalted. After his humiliation would come his exaltation. That's pretty gr- good Christology, isn't it? This is the work of the Spirit in the life of this sinner. The blasphemer became a theologian and a worshiper. Behold the power of the cross. Romans 10 verse 9 says, and this is what this thief did. Romans 10 verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And this thief confesses that this man, who is Lord of glory, would come into his kingdom. Now notice how in our sermon text, both thieves spoke to Jesus, right? Both of them. But one was saved and the other died in his rebellion. One died in guilt and the other died in grace. What happened? Well, one said, if you are Christ, get me out of this situation. Just get me out of this pain that I'm experiencing. He was not interested in Jesus. He just wanted Jesus to do something for him. He didn't want Jesus. Do you see that? He wanted the gifts, but not the giver. This is called the prosperity gospel, where Jesus is used as a means to a greater end. There is no greater end than Christ and his glory. What about you? Are you using Jesus or are you worshiping him? He's not an ATM machine. He's not a celestial Santa Claus. He is the Lord of glory. And we can't say, Jesus, I want all the benefits that you would give me. 
but I'm not interested in you. That's idolatry. The man just wanted to get out of that problem, but he didn't want Jesus. But the other man, the other man wanted Christ. And all he wanted was to be in the kingdom of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is there. And he wants Christ to reign over him. We must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we must see our spiritual bankruptcy and run to our all-sufficient Savior. One thief wanted his best life now. The other thief wanted to be in the kingdom of Christ. And so young people especially, do you desire Christ? Or do you simply are happy to enjoy the benefits that he gives. Do you want Christ? Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. What shall it profit a man? He shall gain the whole world, but loses his own soul. You must rest in Christ alone for your salvation because Christ is the gospel. He is the gospel. He is the good news. And in the gospel, we have communion with God. We receive Christ as our Savior. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is our all in all. And notice also very briefly, not only was this thief converted to Christ at Calvary, but also another man in our sermon text, a centurion, the Gentile military commander. Look at verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what was done, watch, he what? glorified God. A pagan soldier glorified the God of the heavens and the earth. And he confessed, certainly this was a righteous man. The Lord Jesus Christ saved some of the sinners who were present right there. What a savior. What a savior. Gracious and plenteous in mercy, full of grace and truth. And this brings us to our final heading, the compassion of Christ at Calvary. The compassion of Christ. People of God, we need compassion. We need mercy. And there is an unending source of mercy in Christ. We must run to him every day. And in him, we have all the mercy that we need as sinners to live for the glory of of God. In verse 43, the Lord Jesus speaks to this man. The Savior speaks. Even in his pain and suffering, the Savior is giving the good news of the gospel. Verse 43, verily I say unto thee, when? Today. Not after a million years in purgatory, but today shall thou be with me in paradise. Again, this is the good news of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This thief, this thief was just converted and saved from the bondage of sin. And he didn't have to wait for, for millions of years in a made up place before he could get to heaven. But as Jesus died and his spirit went to heaven, Jesus took with him this sinner. Jesus saved this man from an eternity of hell. 
That's the kind of savior we need, right? We need a savior who is able and mighty to save us, not just a little bit, but to the uttermost. And that's the, that's the savior Christ is. As Jesus went to heaven, he took with him the thief on the cross. This thief was saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's the only way, the only way of salvation. There is no other way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Let me share three quick observations from verse 43. First observation, when Christians die, they immediately go to heaven in the presence of the triune God. How comforting that is. Death has lost its sting. The souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into glory. And their bodies rest in their graves until the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And on the last day when the Lord Jesus returns, the dead shall hear his voice. And he will raise us to glory. And he will perfect our redemption. And he will give us resurrection bodies with no sickness, no disease, no death. And the best of all, no sin. Perfect communion with our Savior in glory in the bliss of heaven, we will be with the Lord forever in the new heavens and the new earth on that day. But when a Christian dies, he doesn't have to wait a second longer. But he is in the very presence of God and all the suffering is over. Think about John the Baptist who proclaimed Christ and for the sake of Christ suffered and was even beheaded. He didn't waste his life, right? He is very happy right now because he's with his Savior. And one day that severed head will be united to the rest of his body and he will be raised imperishable in glory with all the saints. What a Savior. Second observation. The word paradise that Jesus uses here, today shall thou be with me in paradise. It's also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the garden, in particular the garden of Eden. And we see here that what Jesus brings us is better than Eden, right? Better than Eden. He brings us to God and he's able to keep us forever so that his people will never perish. And we will never be separated from God. Those whom God has accepted in the beloved, he will never forsake. Those whom he has adopted through Jesus Christ, he will never unadopt. But he will keep his people forever. Because the work of Christ is complete and finished. And therefore we are secure in him. And nothing can separate us from his love. Jesus Christ is the second and the last Adam. Our, first, our father Adam messed up, but praise God for the second Adam who restores that broken communion with God and who reconciles us to God. We were ruined by sin, but praise be to God that we are redeemed by the Savior. And then thirdly, third observation from verse 43. 
Our Lord's statement tells us in verse 43 where he was between his death and resurrection. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, his human spirit went to the Father in heaven and his body remained in the grave until the third day. And that's why in verse 46, the Lord Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So as Jesus died, his spirit went to heaven, and his body was in the grave until that third day, the first day of the week, the first Lord's day, when the Lord Jesus rose in glory, in that glorious resurrection. And so how do we understand that phrase in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell? Well, certainly... The body of our Lord Jesus was buried in the grave and continued under the power of death till the third day. But the Heidelberg Catechism also helps us see that Jesus Christ suffered the torments of hell for us on the cross as the wrath of God was poured upon him in our place. And Jesus didn't just take a little sip from the cup of God's wrath. He drank all of it to the very last drop for his people and fully satisfied the demands of the law and the justice of God so that God is able to forgive us sinners, all those who come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. And so Christ, by his suffering, delivered us from the anguish and the torments of hell. And as an application to you, God's people, remember this. Remember that Jesus has delivered you from hell so that even on your worst day on this earth, you're still not going to hell. And it is infinitely better than a few moments in hell. And you have been delivered from it. And when you die, you will be with your Savior. And so let us cultivate great gratitude when we suffer and trust in the Lord to provide for us. But let us run away from complaining or murmuring or grumbling, knowing that our Savior is a perfect Savior who has saved us and He keeps us and provides for us and He will guide us all the way to the celestial city, all the way to glory. Never leave us nor forsake us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Do you rejoice in this Savior? His work of redemption was completed on the cross as he declared before his death, it is finished. And then look at verse 44. It was about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, verse 45, and the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. The veil, the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was now torn. The separation was removed between the holy God and us sinners because Jesus Christ through his blood has made the way for sinners to come into communion with God. This, this also means that the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, the types and the shadows, the sacrifices were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ and are now abrogated. Christ is the Lamb of God. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, but Jesus Christ saves us and his blood is able to cleanse us from our sins. What a glorious gospel we have. Rest in him. 
Rest in him the rest of your life. As we heard this morning, walk by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. Don't trust at any point in your own keeping of yourself or in your own good works to work your way to heaven. Never think that it is that we can impress God through our own merits. God is pleased as we put our trust in his son because God is pleased in his son. And those who are united to Christ by faith, God is for us, for them, and not against us. Walk by faith in this risen Savior who is all-sufficient and mighty to save us and keep us. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian had a heavy burden on his back, and this burden represented sin that kept growing heavier and bigger until the time that he arrived at the hill of deliverance. And as he came to the cross of Christ, it was there and only there that his burden was rolled away. And he was freed from his bondage to sin and was now on his way as a pilgrim to the celestial city. This is the good news of the gospel that is proclaimed right here for us. Cling to the Savior. He will hold you fast. He will sustain you through the trials of life. He will be your help all the days of your life. Christ calls you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You must repent and you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not only the author, but also the finisher of our faith. The good work that he, that God has begun in our lives, he is able to complete it because Jesus Christ is a perfect savior and he's able to save us and keep us in the one true faith to the end. Praise be to him. Amen. Would you please stand as I pray, as we pray together. <clears throat> our Father and our God, we give thee thanks for Christ, the only Redeemer of God's elect, who being the eternal Son of God, became man. And so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures, and one person forever. We give thee thanks for the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is filled with compassion, full of grace and truth. Oh, what a Savior we have. Help us, Lord. Help us to look to him. Help us to rest in him and depend upon him to live the Christian life. Help us to not seek to live the Christian life by our own merits or strength. The strength of man will fail him. But help us to depend upon the strength that the Lord Jesus provides. Father, we pray that we would indeed be filled with great gratitude as we consider this glorious gospel. As we think about the mercy that God has shown us, as that, the mercy that thou has shown us in the gospel, help us to be filled with thanksgiving to cultivate gratitude 
Help us, O Lord, to give thanks unto the Lord in all circumstances. Instead of being anxious, help us to pray, for we have a God who listens to us, for we are reconciled to him, and he's our Father in heaven. Help us, O Lord, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thee thanks, and we pray in Jesus' name.